0: Welcome to Restart Radio. I'm Dave Pickering and I make podcasts. I spend most of my life online, but I've got no idea how to fix any of the devices that help me to spend my time there. But I've been invited to a party. It's called a Restart Party, and this party might just help me to understand the technology that I use every day and all the time. A Restart Party is a pop-up community repair event where skilled volunteers help people diagnose and repair their broken electronics. They're organized by the Restart Project who are a London-based charity and social enterprise whose mission is to spark reflection and change in our relationship with gadgets. So let's go now to a Restart Party. The restart party that we've gone to today isn't in the UK. The audio that you can hear behind me was taken from a video recorded in a high school that's secondary school for UK listeners. Oh my god. Destroyed. That was fine, that it's fine. And in that video, two students are opening up. And looking inside, screws, Green, so you a smartphone for the first time. Those are just screws inside the phone? Yeah.
1: Where are they supposed to
2: be? In this button somewhere. Okay. Damn. Your home button's not going to work.
0: Oh, actually. Bro. Yes, it okay. yes, it will. Yes, it will.
3: I need it for PI.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Today's episode is about how a group of students and teachers decided to integrate the Restart ethos into their school and into their community and how they went about achieving that. To set the story up for us, here's Janet from the Restart Project.
1: So we met Jeannie, a teacher from the Fieldston School in New York, at Mozilla Festival, which is a yearly technology festival here in London. And we did a workshop. I believe it was disassembling routers, so just taking a home router and taking it apart. A lot of other curious people turned up, and that was something quite different at that technology festival. And she showed an immediate interest, and we've been in touch ever since. And she basically took our ethos and some of our philosophy and um, combined it with work she was already doing. And the story is absolutely compelling and exciting.
3: Janet, can you hear us? Yeah, I can still hear you.
0: Because they're over in New York, Janet had to connect with the school using an online link up. The sound at their end mostly recorded okay, but there are a few ghosts in the machine that will creep into the audio from time to time.
3: I'm Jeannie Crowley. I'm the director of technology, and I'm partnering with the student leadership to keep the research.
2: I'm Daniel levy Minzi. I'm currently the head of a restart center. Uh, I'm a senior right now in so culture fields in school.
3: So the whole idea originally started when we met serendipitously with the Restart Project volunteers in London, ModFest. And there was this group of repairers there, which is really physical and a little different than a lot of other things that are happening at the conference. And it was a while ago, and the, just seeing people really engaged in repair sat with me for a few years, but I wasn't really in a place in past organizations to really do much about it. And then I started at Fieldsman School two years ago and saw that they were really committed to sustainability, and the kids were really interested in kind of learning more about the sustainable side of repair and really thought that there might be some interest in starting a funky little project of a student repair tutoring center, which Daniel might be able to tell you, we've had genius bars and things like that.
2: What were those? I mean, those were, I would say like the reason those ended up not working so well was because they were not interactive. We had something called the genius bar, like play on apples thing or whatever. didn't really have funding or any structure or anything, so it was just kind of people telling their friends dead plug it in, that kind of stuff, or, or like, something wrong with your battery and your laptop. And there wasn't any actual, like, work work going on. People would open stuff up, but they didn't have the tools or organization or supervision to, like, really fix a lot of things, I guess.
3: And I think what we've seen in a couple other places, what you end up with is, like, a really small part of the population benefiting from it, which is just the five to eight volunteers who man it or woman it, if you will. Then you don't really have anybody else learning. So Daniel had this really neat idea modeling it after other tutoring centers that we have, and how do those work?
2: Yeah, so, Fieldson has a ton of centers at this point, we have this Math Center, English Center, um, and the way those work is if you need help with an essay or something, you can make an appointment, and they'll go through your essay with you, so you're not really dropping it off with them and expecting them to like give you edits, but really you're reading it through with them, reading it out loud, talking about like why it might make sense to change certain things grammatically, we just thought using that in a, in like a repair kind of way, just made a lot of sense. I mean,
3: it set the expectations for the kids that they wouldn't just be dropping it off; that they would be using this existing structure, using expert support, but to do their own work. Really helped students who participated in this understand that it wasn't just a service; that it was a tutoring center.
2: Our school is a very friendly place. People are outgoing, and there's always that expectation that you're gonna have help from people around you, whether they're teachers or they're students. I'd say that was like very important to the Restart Center early on because there's already like a trust. Someone's coming to the restart center with their phone, the first person I ever worked with I've known since sixth grade and, you know, she trusted me to go through it.
3: Since there was the peer to peer support model, there was kind of a natural way to set up the restart center. So the, the tutoring centers are set up In the library, in these very visible spaces, like they literally have these little handmade signs that say, like, math tutoring center or English tutoring center. So when we first started, we didn't really have a space for the restart center. The volunteers just made a little handmade sign and stuck it on a library table and just invited kids to come in and perform public repairs. And I think our early gains in students coming to the center was just they saw other kids working in a public space and were intrigued by it seeing students, very much like your model of the Restart Project in London, of seeing people perform repair in public places. One thing that worked for us is we had students who were not known for their technical ability performing public repairs. So I think it kind of signaled to other participants that you don't have to be some long-term tinkerer to do this because here's this other kid who no one knows as having any sort of technical competency, getting support in a public place to fix his phone.
1: So everything started at Fieldson School when Jeannie planned a very ambitious event for Earth Day, which involved having a huge number of students get hands-on with laptops in an open field, and everything snowballed from there for her.
3: That was a very unusual and kind of frenetic day, and it happened in a space where most um repairers would be horrified about. It was in a field full of grass on a sunny day and it was windy. But we had this stack of I think forty Chromebooks that had been damaged in the high school and Daniel's smiling right now because it was just like it was everything that you could do wrong with repair. There's like dirt and grass and it wasn't a sterile environment, but the point was really to get people excited about getting their hands on some devices. So we took forty Chromebooks onto these two long tables in the middle of the field and we had a little station where all these other Earth Day activities were happening. And we had several team members from the tech team, and we had some student volunteers, and we had already identified what was wrong with the devices and ordered parts. So it was a pretty big initiative. A huge amount of organization went in the background. And then as a flood of high school students were coming onto the field to participate in Earth Day activities, saw these stacks of computers, which is a little unusual uh, for this space, And we said, hey, you know, do you want to come over and fix the computer? And if you fix it and it works, you can take it home with you. Because these computers actually had been consigned to, like, a recycling bin. And we had, like, these large power cords that had been pulled out from the gym so you could actually, like, plug them in and test them. We had a student come up, and the flow essentially was one student would come up. I would pair them off with an adult. They would choose a device based upon their comfort. So if they were not very comfortable with repair, we'd push them more towards the keyboard. If they were a little bit more comfortable with repair, we'd push them towards the display repair. And then as the next kid came up, we would say, oh, there's a kid working over on this corner on that very thing. And kid number one would pass on their, what they learned in the very first repair they did 40 seconds ago to kid number two. And then we basically rinsed and repeated that process. So 45 minutes or an hour, we repaired something like 33 or 40 Chromebooks. And that was, I think, what really started a lot of the excitement about the repair. So it it was really a very happenstance highly organized but not very widely communicated things and so it's kind of lovely these kids like wandered out into the field and there was these chromebooks fixed that they could just take home with them if they were successful in their endeavors for our tech department it was really just kind of a stake in the ground to say that we were excited about repair and sustainability and we wanted the kids to be really involved in the process and we didn't really have a firm idea of what to do with that excitement after that until i met daniel and daniel's like well why don't we make this into a regular thing? And so some of the kids who participated in that first round um, ended up being our volunteers in the actual formal Restart Center.
2: Last year, my biggest job was to just find people to get it started. Originally, it was just me and Jeannie talking about starting up a Restart Center, but we didn't really have anyone outside of us two. <laughs> so I spent a lot of time last year like convincing my friends you know, regardless of of how tech-savvy they were to to get on board. And then also we spent a lot of time last year working out how to make it all run smoothly.
3: When Daniel first joined us, he was a student government, student cabinet position, and he was the Secretary of Technology, which is a position that, you know, often makes more contained kind of recommendations, like how do we fix the printing, how do we make it easier for kids to reset passwords. So this was the first year that we had someone... Uh, who as a representative from student government, create something that was long-lasting in this way. And so even after Daniel leaves, and after he left his position as Secretary of Technology, he made the head of the Restart Center and, and is now training a mentor to take over for after he leaves. This is something that will be here a long time after he's gone on to college.
1: I think one of the most remarkable things about the work in Fieldson School is essentially that they've turned their IT technician their it section into a peer-to-peer repair workshop almost like a social enterprise that that works in a way it's a service that serves students and teachers and uh, it's fascinating to hear how it works
2: we have a band system There are like free blocks in everyone's day and those are each assigned like a letter so all the research center techs let genie or kenny know what periods they have free and they're like able to to work on repairs so if someone has a problem, they know to email restartcenter at ecfs.org, and then that comes back to them with a form they can fill out about what problem they're having and when they can meet and that kind of stuff. And then Jeannie and Kenny are able to order the parts, and then that person can make an appointment with one of us, and then we, we get to work. And generally we meet either in the tech office of our school, which is in like a pretty crowded corridor, and there's big glass windows, so lots of people are are looking in and seeing what we're up to, and we explain either what we're doing or what they should be doing, depending on like how complicated it is. Certain parts will do it for them, at least for the first time, yeah. Um, just because it, it requires a little bit of experience, I guess. A lot of it is done by the actual students themselves. They're, they're working a lot on their own repair, and we're just kind of there to guide and and help and and make sure everything goes smoothly.
3: One of the principles we try to use is if the volunteer's hand is on the device the majority of the time, then then it's just a repair center and not a repair tutoring center. So we try to really help them be mindful of who's holding the device and who's doing the repair. One thing we did originally when we started rolling out, everyone was just texting and emailing Daniel, which is so not what he should be worried about during his school day. So we came up with this, like... Gmail that has an auto reply, links to a form where the kids put in all the information about their phone models so we're not chasing them down and then they can actually book on like a Google appointment calendar and then everybody gets the notifications of that appointment. So we don't really have to communicate about schedules after we get it set up, which is really great because we can just focus on what's happening. And then Daniel and I work a lot together to decide what we will and won't repair because some, some things are just too expensive. Like, and you've had really bad luck with iPads. They're, they're really hard. So there's some things that we just kind of recognize our limitations. MacBook Pros from 2012, 2011, those are easy. Pretty much all iPhone models are pretty easy. It just comes down to cost in our own experience. But we have a little grant from a parent who lets us buy the parts but you've had faculty and staff. They, faculty and staff had to buy their own parts. I
2: worked with my history teacher earlier this year, or one of my old history teachers earlier this year.
3: Yeah, so it's even something the adults are coming to the students for help with, too. She a parent last week. She heard about it because she has a, a daughter in the middle school, and we actually have a middle school version of this that just started this year. It's a little different in form because the middle schoolers are very young. She heard about it, and she emailed us and said, you know, can you come in, and she worked with one of our restart volunteers to assess the damage on a computer that she had filled with coffee by accident?
2: Most of the time it's phones, probably 90% of the time. I've had a laptop or two in in my time. I also know that Jeannie and some of the staff actually went to X school last year and they worked on a ton of laptops there.
3: We had like a restart party modeled after what you have with the pop-up workshops. We had 72 students kids replace the hard drives with solid state drives in their 2012 MacBook Pros. We did that in an hour in this very kind of complicated arrangement of stations. And so the kids, instead of recycling those computers, we held on to them for another year. And then all of our volunteers in our middle school moved up from the elementary school and were ready to go already. The ones that we organize as like a, a formal activity are almost always laptops. But the ones that kids bring, and Daniel was saying a lot of times kids bring those because
2: uh, you don't want to get in trouble at home. Yeah.
3: So it's very popular because kids don't want to get in trouble for having broken yeah. uh, the phone at home. So we're, <laughs> we have some built-in popularity there, too, for the service. A few people share stories about how they were more comfortable going into unusual things after having experienced it. Like a staff member told me that she felt comfortable replacing the light bulb in her dashboard on her car. Um, after going to the restart center because she said, you know, it just seemed like you went on YouTube and watched a video and looked at some instructions and you bought some tools and that was that. And she said, I figure I could do that for a light bulb in my car. And she did, and she was really successful. It was going to be like a $200 repair. She replaced for 15 cents. And so, you know, we're not having odds and ends coming into the center, but we're getting some stories back about people just being more ambitious and open to repair at
1: home. And the learning that goes on through the Restart Center is not all technical. It's not all about how to disassemble a device or how to fit a spare part. There's a lot of other learning that happens when students get together and fix things.
2: I think my favorite example is like one of my really good friends, and He went into the Restart Center with, I don't know, I would say like a minimal amount of experience with um, technology. He had opened up his laptop before and... Uh, mess around with that kind of stuff, but overall he was like pretty new to working on phones and all that kind of stuff. And now this year we're working on two separate projects, both of us, and I would say that the reason we're working on either is probably the Restart Center, just because we've had all this experience working with technology and just like working with our hands. And this year we're building a drone and a go-kart together, and he's also like, his Nintendo broke the other week, and he went in there and like fixed that himself and I mean, for me, I know it's had a big impact as well. Like, I've been, I, I'm fixing a phone for for a friend out of school next week, and that kind of stuff is just always on my mind now, and I'm walking around with my phone, like, being careful not to drop it, and that kind of stuff is just more more at the forefront of my mind. But I also think that there's definitely a lot of volunteers who have had this experience, and it's kind of made them want to have more similar experiences
3: one of the things Daniel's reported to is a difference between the client who comes in and is kind of introduced to repair the first time, and there's this neat little demystifying that happens, you know, like kids use language like, oh, my phone's broken, and it's like absolute, and then we open it up, and there's this moment of really big excitement, and then next time I talk to them, I can think of one student in particular, he was like, oh, you know, there's that, that cable on the right's not put down properly, so he now has this little design diagram of like what's happening inside of his phone that they're starting to think really more how things are built. But one of the things I saw that happened with the volunteers is they started gaining a lot of experience about the connection between design and sustainability. So there's models of phones that we talk about that all of us hate repairing because they're really hard to fix or, you know, there's one phone, I think it's like an iPhone 5C that's built like a booby trap that's just, you know, the way they put the cable towards the home button when you open it up, it's just designed to be ripped. Yeah, the SE also. So it's like neat with the eight to ten volunteers we have. They get this experience across a bunch of devices and start really seeing the connection between how the phone is built and whether or not it's built in a way that's easy or tough to repair. Um, and I think for some of them, it's informed some of the decisions about what they buy after that.
2: I think a lot of people come in and like initially the, like the initial reason they're coming in is just because they want to have that like device back and they want it to be fully functional. But, you know, you're going to be there for 20 or so minutes. And so, which means they're going to be having a conversation with the person you're working with. And it's not only going to be them telling you what you need to do because, you know, a lot of it is just trying to do one thing for, like, five minutes because it's hard to get, like, a certain plug in or, or figure out how a certain screw comes out. So a lot of the conversations I have are about, like, why it's so difficult. So, like, I, the example I often go to when I'm working um, with someone and we're talking about sustainability and, like, you know, why we're actually working on repairing the device is with my desktop I can just, like, unplug a wire and put a new screen in literally whenever I want And the truth is, like, with phones, it could be that easy. It probably should be that easy, but that's just not the way things are. So I would say a lot of those conversations happen. And then kids, students, teachers, whoever have this better understanding of, you know, why it's important to repair and and kind of the cycle that they're participating in and and why it's harmful.
3: Yeah, and I think, you know, we try to take a fairly pragmatic approach because there's kids who come in. Who, who may not actually care about repair that much, but through the center end up doing the very thing which is necessary, which is repairing their phones. So I think you know, we try to have really targeted conversations with the kids, and there's gonna be those kids who are just automatically really excited about sustainability and about you know, the life cycle of a phone, Um, and they're going to continue and keep coming back. And then there's those kids who might not be that excited, but they still ended up opting out of the cycle through the repair center. So, you know, we try, I think the first round is really whether or not you believe in a larger mission, like at least engage in an action that means something to the larger mission, and then try to get kids on that second loop to be deeper involved in repair. So, you know, because in the end, if we just save 72 phones from a landfill, I guess it doesn't really matter if everyone believes it's important, but we yeah. save 72 phones, and then we try to, like, deepen the experience um, as much as we can with the people who show a spark. So last year I think we did 72 laptops, um, and it was something like 36 or 40 yeah. uh, phones. phones. Yeah. And this year we've surpassed 40 phones, and it's only February, just starting into March, so we're really far ahead of last year's goal, keeping in mind that it's the same population, so, yeah. you know, and we don't do repeat service, so there's, it's 40 new kids, not 40 repeat kids from last year, so all in all, we've had something like 200 participants at our school, which we do it's, it's a pretty big chunk for a school our size. Um, I think I calculated the number last year, and something like 20 percent of our community has had contact with the restart center, either volunteering or having a repair. Uh, so it's had a really, really big impact on our school.
1: The fields and schools experience makes it seem like everything was so simple, and we asked them to break it down a little bit and share their experience and their tips for other schools.
3: From an adult perspective, we've documented everything and you know, can happily share it. And I think really get a, a cast as wide as net as possible for your volunteers, because um, we know representation matters. So, you know, my first repair with a new student who's now one of our volunteers, Mm -hmm. our other volunteers weren't available, and so she sat down and she goes, oh, you know, I didn't know women did this, and what do you do? And so, you know, having her do that repair with me invited her more into the process of signing up to be a volunteer, and then eventually is going to be our student leader next year. So I think when getting that net of students, make sure it's not just kind of your typical kids who are really, really interested in repair, but getting kids who will Wide in the net for other kids who'll be interested in repair.
2: From my point of view, I guess if any uh, anyone like who's any students who would be thinking about getting involved in this um, is to just kind of go for it. I mean, the truth is, it's been it's been like a really great experience. I'm gonna remember it forever, pretty much. And it's not like overbearing. It doesn't control a big part of anyone's lives, really. And it's just something really interesting to do, and it also really changes the way that you perceive the world around you. Everything is in technology these days, and so just having this experience really changes, I guess, my outlook.
1: And we asked Daniel about what his next steps were, given that he was in his last year of secondary school, and he has the advantage in the U.S. system of not having had to precisely focus and choose exactly what he's going to study at university.
2: Yeah. Um I'm in the process right now. I'm I've been accepted to one school but I'm still waiting to hear from some others and to be honest I don't really know like what I'm gonna do. Uh I'll always probably be like tinkering with things and um, you know, like working go esque projects with my friends and stuff. Um, but I don't know like what I'll be majoring in or, or any of that <laughs> stuff yet. <laughs> I've gotta figure that out so <laughs>
3: Yeah, so it's it's taken off in a way that's been really great. Um we have this middle school center which is 6th graders. We have 8 of them. Um, we've been we have a very different curriculum for them because they have a very different flow than our high school students. Um but they've just reached the point that they're capable of doing repairs for high school students. So we've added them to our high school schedule. So it's kind of it's going to be this neat little social mixing where High schoolers are going to be having middle schoolers train them how to fix their phones. And then we are doing another um, restart party in the elementary school at the end of the year to get those kids excited and moving up. Um, and there's a couple other local schools like Browning and St. Anne, some independent schools, um, who have launched their own version of the restart center. We're trying to use the same word, at like calling it a restart center at all the different schools so that way kids feel part of something bigger than um, a particular repair movement within their school. Um, So I think that's been a really big part of what we're trying to do this year and next year is get more schools on board and share as much of our our process as possible because that that was the least fun part of everything was working out the kinks Um, and we're trying to help other people skip all of that and get just straight to the repairing.
0: I found it incredibly inspiring to hear about how Jeannie and Daniel have integrated restarting into their school. If we're going to change our relationship with technology and find ways of making it more sustainable, it seems to me that one of the best places to start is in schools. One of the reasons that I'm nervous about fixing things is that it's all so alien to me. It was never normalised during my childhood, not in my school and not particularly in my home life. I wasn't even taught how to change a fuse in a plug and it's embarrassing to admit but in my 20s I had to get my dad to come round to my house to help me to do that. That was the first time I'd ever had to navigate such a simple and basic piece of technological maintenance. These days when I have problems like that I don't need to ask my dad, I can ask the internet and I've learned a lot online but learning things remotely is not quite the same as learning things face to face with someone and particularly learning things when you're older is not the same as learning things when you're young. It's also really exciting to hear about how learning to fix things has led to the students creating new things and having a greater awareness, not just about how their technology is put together, but also why it is put together that way, allowing them to see both flaws in product design and the flaws in the ways that we think about our products, both personally and collectively. How many times over the years have I thought That my technology was broken when it might have been repairable i really shudder to think these past few years working with the restart project have changed how i think about technology and i rarely think of my stuff as broken anymore listening to daniel i wonder what might have happened if that understanding had been there from the start if i'd learned a different way of thinking about technology to begin with And wasn't hampered with having to relearn and reframe my understanding in my 30s it's really amazing what they're doing in that school in new york and i hope that things like that happen in schools not just in america but also in the uk i know that janet and ugo and everybody at the restart project have been reaching out to schools so hopefully we will see that increase and hopefully The work that Jeannie and Daniel and the other staff and students in their school have done will serve as a kind of beacon to light our way and to encourage other schools, other educational establishments. As Jeannie said at the end, they've done the hard stuff and hopefully that means that those of us following along behind will be able to get to where they are even quicker. Restart Radio is both a podcast and a weekly show that goes out at 1.30 on Tuesdays on Resonance 104.4 FM, repeated on Thursdays at 11.30 a.m. As with all episodes of Restart Radio, we'll include links with background information to all of the issues and stories discussed over at therestartproject.org. The music that you've heard in today's episode was made with lasers and repurposed electronics and is a collaboration between Opto Noise and Cassini Sound. And big thanks to our new intern, Lauren Colley, who is a big step herself in helping to make the Restart Project podcast a much more sustainable process. Today's Restart Party is over so it's time to pack up the equipment and say goodbye to each other goodbye everybody